the more units you manage, the more in tune with the market you are, the more you know exactly what's going on on you know Main Street or or you know Laurel Street or over on the yeah. this side of the city or over yeah. on that side because you have all the real time data behind the scene of of people leasing your apartments, doing this, doing that. You know you you just have more vendors in your pockets. You, you can buy materials in, in bigger bulk, right? Get bigger discounts. And there's all these tiny little things around the edges that happen when you know when you have access to more data and you know what. And then we're strengthening our relationships Very with more investors point. in the market. Yeah. Welcome to the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll not only learn how you can achieve massive success in multifamily real estate investing, but also how you can simultaneously pursue great relationships with your family and a better walk with God. You can achieve financial freedom through real estate investing without sacrificing the relationships that mean the most to you. Now, here's your host, Lee Yoder. Welcome back, Threefold listeners. I hope you're having a great week. We've got another great guest this week. Uh, Axel Ragnarsson is joining us, um, a guy I've gotten to know pretty well, uh, really trying to do a lot of things and, and doing a lot of things that we're trying to do here at Threefold and doing it uh, to a high level up in the Northeast, actually. So don't have too many uh, guests that come on from up there. He lives in Boston. Uh, he was on the uh, podcast already way back in 2021, actually, January 2021. He was episode 31. So go back and give that a listen. I remember that being a great episode. Uh, but a little bit about uh, Axel, and then we'll bring him in and um, learn a lot more from him. But he's an active real estate investor based in Boston, Massachusetts. He's the founder of Aligned Real Estate Partners. They focus on acquiring class B and C value-add assets in multiple markets throughout the United States. Currently, they either directly own or have a GP interest in 450 plus units of multifamily real estate and has been a principal party in $62 million worth of transactions. He's also the founding partner of Blue Door Living, a property management company. Uh, I want to get into that. Yeah, a lot of you guys know that we we started doing property management here at Threefold. Uh, so he's based. That's based in New Hampshire. Manages over 300 units, small, mid-sized multifamily. Uh, he's also the host of a multifamily wealth podcast. Uh, he and I just recorded an episode like an hour ago. So uh, go give that a listen. It's a great podcast. It's one of the industry's most highly rated multifamily real estate podcasts. So uh, a lot there, a lot to get into. Axel, uh, first of all, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, man, I appreciate the invite. It's good to chat again. Yeah, you too. So Axel, you were on before, so maybe people heard you, but it's been a long time. So maybe just a little bit of bit your background again for everybody that missed that first episode. But then, man, a lot's happened between that, uh, the last time you were on and, and, and today. Uh, so maybe kind of bring us up to speed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, high level, I grew up in New Hampshire, you know, live in Boston now, as you mentioned, um, you know, always had a bit of an entrepreneurial bone. Um, parents are business owners. They, they ran a wood shipping business, so nothing to do wow. with real estate, but I was kind of yeah. around business ownership, you know, growing up. And, um, and I was always that kid that was just hustling, you know, to try and make a buck. So, um, late high school, early college, I was buying and selling cars to make money. Like that was, you know, that was my income source. I, I flipped cars on Craigslist. And, um, you know, as I was getting towards graduating college and, you know, getting out of school, I was thinking, um, do I want to get a job? Do I want to try and start a business? Like, you know, do I want to flip cars? And I was like, well, that's probably not the long-term plan, but, you know, I, I think you really like the idea of, uh, of running a business and, and and doing something that is outside of a nine to five. Yeah. And um, I basically started trying to figure out what I could do. Right. And uh, stumbled upon real estate, you know, probably saw an Instagram ad or, a, you know, Ichi TV or something like that. Sure. Um, and my foray into real estate was trying to flip houses. Like at the time I was like, all right, you know, flipping cars, flipping houses, whatever, same concept, let's sure. go find a good deal, fix it up and sell it. What year was this Axel? This is uh 2016, okay. 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, and long story short, um, 
uh, as I was trying to learn how to flip houses, I stumbled upon multifamily real estate, rental real estate, passive income. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading all these blogs, watching YouTube videos. And, and I was like, well, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. You know, you, you go out there, you find a property, you, you know, you, you, you use other people's money to buy it. And then the tenants there pay you in perpetuity. That's let's go do that. That sounds pretty good. So nice. started trying to figure out how to buy small multifamily properties. And, um, I didn't have any cash credit, you know, no job, no, I wasn't lendable really at all. So I was also trying to find some private money lenders that would loan me the money. And, um, to make a long story short, you know, my first few years in the business were going out there, finding direct to seller, small multifamily, call it, you know, three to 10 unit deals, two to 10 unit deals, buying them with private money lending, going in refinancing my capital out and just, you know, rolling the snowball down the hill and just okay. growing a portfolio. So I did that for three, four years. Um, you know, that takes us up to 2020. I probably had 50, 60 units or so that, that wow. I owned and it was nice. going really well and passive income was paying the rent. But I could feel it getting really stressful in that, you know, my own capital is spread across a lot of different deals. I constantly had to keep selling deals to, to feed mm -hmm. the beast, you know, free up some cash to keep buying more. Um, you know, and I, I just, I kind of felt uncomfortable with how I was growing. It didn't feel like it felt pretty risky uh, to make a long story short. So um, at that time I was like, all right, well, how do we, you know, how do we scale the business? How do we keep growing, but without my own money? So started thinking about how to do that and um, started working with some partners, started raising capital from some investors. I also wanted to get out of the New Hampshire area and start doing bigger deals elsewhere. So I started looking down in Florida um, just because I had a buddy that lived in Tampa and he was like, you know, Hey, market's great down here. People are moving here. So we started looking around Tampa uh, that led us to central Florida, which is where we ultimately ended up buying. Nice. Um, and then started to get a little bit more serious about like actually building a real estate business um, in terms of, you know, let's raise some capital. Let's provide a good investor experience. Let's, yeah. you know, start ramping up our direct to seller so we can find more deals to go raise money. And that's where things started to take off a little bit. So I went from buying 20, 30 units a year. That was just me, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to get stuff done on my own to buying, you know, 60 to 150 units a year, depending on how much capital we were raising. Um, and throughout 2021 and 2022, we bought about 150 units in Florida, uh, excuse me, about hundred units in Florida, 150 units up in New Hampshire. Um, wow. Grew the portfolio to about a couple hundred doors, including my own properties in New Hampshire. And uh, that's when we decided to bring property management in-house. We started our management company. Nice. And um, and that basically brings us up to today where it's, you know, we go out there, we raise capital from retail investors. We buy value-add multifamily real estate. Like to think we provide a great investor experience. Like to think that we approach the business in a different way than a lot of folks that are out there talking on podcasts and, and creating content. Um, and looking to continue growing from here. Yeah, man. What a great story, man. You've been a rocket ship uh, since back then. I mean, just thinking about when you were uh, thinking about flipping houses, it wasn't that long ago. And, and then now, yeah, yeah look, look, look at the progress you've made, man. Um, so a couple, like I, I've kind of been through a, a lot of the same phases, maybe not not as, as quickly and as high of a level, but um, man, I know there's just, there's some, you hit some walls. Like it's really hard to get started. So, um, and a lot of podcasts cover that. A lot of people talk about that. It's really hard to get started. And I always talk about that. Like, and you just got to figure out a way to get started because that's like the biggest hurdle. But then after that, there's some other hurdles and and you've you've climbed over them. Um, you know, when you have your own portfolio, that's one thing. But when you want to start bringing in other people's money to kind of a, a higher level and kind of build on a business, that, that's a big step. So maybe just a little bit on how did you get over that hurdle? How did you yeah. get to where, you know, you could start bringing in some money and buying, you know, 100 units down in Florida? That's, that's a lot different than you just finding some small stuff in New Hampshire for yourself. Yeah, it was uh, it was really, really challenging for me to start raising money. Um, mm -hmm. I think some people just have an inclination to where they're like, you know, they don't have that mental roadblock. And I envy those people because yeah. <laughs> they probably make more money and grow their business faster. But for me, I was incredibly nervous about the idea of bringing other people into my deals. And it was really for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, I wanted things to go really well and I didn't want to lose anyone's money. Right. That's a fear I yeah. think everybody has. Two was 
I, I just, I'm so uh, hypersensitive about having people to answer to. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. I got a job out of college when I was trying to, you know, I was buying real estate, but I kind of ran out of money and I was like, I got to go pay for my rent. So I went and got a job. I was there for three days before I walked in on the third day. And I was like, dude, this is not for me. Like I've, I've never really been employable. Um, and for me, having investors is a boss, right? You're, yeah. you're now, you're now answering sure. to somebody else. You're not, you know, there's, there's other people's uh, well-being and, and capital that you need to, you know, be concerned about and care about. So that was also a really big challenge. And then third, it was hard for me to think about raising capital as anything other than people doing me a favor, which mm, I've really gotten sure. out of that now where it's yeah. like, for me, I was, you know, going out there with my hands open saying, Hey, can you please help me buy this piece of real estate versus I have an incredible opportunity for you where you yeah. can make a lot of money. Right. That's a huge mindset shift. I think for a lot of people. Yep. So it took me forever to get, to get over that stuff. Um, and the other piece of it was like, I, uh, I just, I really wanted it to be easy. Like I didn't want to face a lot of rejection, rejection in raising capital. I never wanted to feel like I was selling somebody on investing mm -hmm. in a deal. So for me, I was really hypersensitive about building just uh, in a, such a track record that I was like, well, duh, of course, this is going to go well for you. I've done this exact same deal 30 times over the last few years. Yeah. Sure. So it took me longer to do it because I just, I kept, I kept extending how much I wanted to do before I felt comfortable going to investors. And finally I got out of my own head and, um, you know, I had a conversation with a guy who was in my local market up in New Hampshire. And, um, and he was talking about partnering on a deal and and I was, you know, he was like, Hey man, if you find anything that, that produces like 8%, like I'd love to invest. And I was like, dude, I find those deals every day. Like that's yeah. crazy. You know? And, and I remember for some reason it was, I, maybe I matured or something. And I, that's when the, the switch flipped and I was like, all right, well I can provide a lot of opportunities to folks who are looking to more, more passively invest and yes. don't want to actually be involved. And that's where it really started to take off. Um, and I was extremely, uh, extremely careful about the deals early on that I was doing where I was raising money. So the first I mean, six or seven deals, you know, and I, I could sit down and actually itemize them, but it was first six or seven deals were deals that I had the capability of doing with my own money. So I didn't need investors. Okay. I just opted to bring them in so that I could learn the process because I knew that the deal was going to go well. And I knew if something didn't go well, I could just buy them, buy them out and take it on myself. Like it, it was just very okay. safe. Yeah, that is and, safe. Um, right. And I was like, well, it's also going to be good too, because when these deals go well, because they will, because, you know, I'm extraordinarily confident. I've done 30 of these in this market the last few yep. years, just myself. Right it's going to be good to throw them down in the track record. And then I can point to that track record to everybody who try to raise money from in the future and say, Hey, we did those. These right. are the returns. They went really well. Go call the people that were in them. They'll give us a glowing referral, et cetera, et cetera. So yep. that's what we did. And that was like the first couple of deals in Florida. Those are the first you know, handful of deals we did in, in New Hampshire, like the Florida deals were direct to seller off market. You know, they appraised for 20% more than we had it under contract for while we were under contract. You know, we could have screwed every single thing up and we still would have been okay. Cause we were buying yeah. at such a compelling price. You know, it's not like we were competing with other buyers on a broker deal. Like it was just us to the seller through cold calling and mailing. So that was, that was how I got over it was just, awesome. was being just incredibly careful about it. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's how I got over that hurdle. And I'm guessing actually, especially now that you've done really well, cause I know you guys have gone full cycle on a couple of those and, and you guys hit home runs, if not grand slams. I'm sure it, it, I'm guessing it's easy now because I'm just taking myself back. I, I started a little bit different. You, I, I raised money pretty early on just from, you know, family yeah. and friends and, and just one person. But man, all it took for me, one deal we, we sold in just a year and we crushed it uh, because of the market. And it that's what convinced me to go into syndication because I'm like, that was fun. Like I made a lot of money. I did really well, but so did they. And this one was actually yeah. my in-laws. And so it's always good to impress your in-laws and, and make this my So I was like, that was really cool. I want to do more of that. So I'm guessing now with, with you haven't done so well, you're not feeling like you're asking people for money. You're feeling like they're, you're letting them on in on an opportunity. 
Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm much past that now. You know, I'm still yeah. very careful about like, I'm not going to raise money for our first deal in a new market, you know, unless, sure. unless I have like a, an, a partner attached to it, who's incredibly skilled in that market. Yeah. Um, you know, we did a deal out in Indianapolis as a 23 unit deal. Normally I would have raised money for that, but I was like, Hey, this is my first deal out here. It's the first time we're working with this PM, you know, first time I've, I've done anything in this market. I'm going to do it with my own resources first, my own money. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I, I still have a lot of safeguards in place to try and, you know, we, we're only bringing people into the stuff that we are really confident we can execute on because I think that's what people forget too. It's like, Buying a great deal is one thing, but executing on the business plan because we're in the value add oh, game. Yeah. Oh my god. There's so many things that can go wrong. Yes. And our whole thing, and we say this every time we pitch a deal to anyone, it's like you're investing in a rinse and repeat deal in a rinse and repeat market with a rinse and repeat team. We have done all of these different things yep. many, many times with the same group of people, with the same level of finish, with the same, you know, uh quality of resident, in the same, like all of that stuff, right? So we have an element of confidence. So when we get into a new market, I, I'm that's where again I'm pretty skittish about it. I'll almost invest myself with another operator as an LP, you know, try and get the lay of the land. Um, yeah, because you can't say all that. You can't say you this. Can. Repeat. And that's the most yeah. important thing. If I'm an LP, that's what I care about the most. Like yeah, you should. Yeah. Like that's, that's my first question for. is like, have you done this before? Have you worked with these people before? Have you invested in this market before? Is, is this your primary pro Like that's all the stuff that matters. Yeah. And then we'll go get, we'll get to the deal after that. But yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, so, so that's totally how agree. I think about it now, but, but yeah, way less roadblocks and raising capital now because we have that mountain of evidence to share. And I, and now I'm really confident about it. Yeah. 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 So actually another thing like that you've done, another hurdle is like growing a business and, 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 you know, you were just doing it by yourself for a while. And then, you know, maybe you're bringing in a few investors, but maybe it's kind of just still mostly you, maybe you had a partner, but man, now you're doing your own property management and, and that's a team. So tell me a little bit about like, why did you do that? And how have you done that? I mean, you know, I, I was talking to you on your podcast, like we're just starting that and trying to do that. And it, it, it's tough and it's a big step. So yeah, just a little bit about why you did it and like kind of how you've how you've been doing it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um when you're doing deals anywhere that's not a major market, the the reason that the institutions play in the major markets is because there's an abundance of quality service providers, whether it's management companies mm. or brokers or you know, whoever, mm. right? There's plenty of people that are extremely knowledgeable that can take care of the asset and help them. Flip side, when you're in tertiary markets, the reason you can find better deals, the reason it's more inefficient, the reason why there's more opportunities to create outsized value is because there are less quality folks participating, whether it's investors or management companies, right? So we're like, all right, if we're going to do deals in New Hampshire, um, you know, and again, we do deals about an hour north of Boston up over the Massachusetts, New Hampshire border. There's not an abundance of great management companies. There's a couple that are decent, but like we can have our cake and eat it too, in terms of we can do deals in a messy market that's kind of too small for big guys where there's not yeah, a lot of A players. And if we own the management, we're getting the best of both worlds. So that was really what drove it. Um, yeah. And then it was... Uh, the other piece is it's way easier to raise money, to get the best debt terms, to you know, to kind of establish great partnerships with people if you own the whole process. Mm. Vertically integrated companies have a much easier time raising capital, have a much better story to tell investors yeah. because the success of the deal isn't dependent on somebody else. Um, you know, when you're using a third-party management company, you know, the owner could could um, I don't know, could just be going through a divorce and have a bunch of oh, personal yeah. issues. And next thing you know, the quality of your management suffers. That's not something that you really can control. You can, you're not in their business, making the hiring decisions, making the personnel decisions, determining how you, you structure the leasing process, all of that yeah. stuff. Right. So we wanted to own that so that we could raise money easier. Um, kind of the third thing too, was, uh, you know, we saw an opportunity to, to actually provide third-party management. And I know it's a big topic of conversation between, operators like you know when you start your own management you should be focused on your own property so that you have you know all of the focus and i think there's a lot of truth to that 
but we also saw the opportunity to create just a, you know, another business, right. And to kind of monetize our network a little bit. We knew that we could provide a better level of management service than the other competing companies. And along the way that a lot that would allow us to grow our management portfolio faster, yes, um, right. which then gives us the ability to scale that business faster, right. To hire more people, which then allows us to do a better job managing our own stuff and allows it, the business to be a little bit more self-sustaining. Like um, and the, and the final piece of that as well is the more units you manage, the more in tune with the market you are, the more, you know, exactly what's going on on you know main street or or you know laurel street or over on the yeah. this side of the city or over yeah. on that side because you have all the real-time data behind the scene of uh, of people leasing your apartments doing this doing that you know you you just have more vendors in your pockets you, you can buy materials and, and bigger bulk right get bigger discounts and there's all these tiny little things around the edges that happen when um you know when you have access to more data and you know what and then we're strengthening our relationships Very with more investors point. in the market yeah yeah. So it's a, there's a, there's a number of reasons why, but that's kind of why we decided to do that. <laughs> and it was not easy as I'm sure yeah. you're, you're aware because you're doing the same, but it was, it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Because I mean, you bring up a good point because um, is the cash flow and like the ability to scale and bringing that in because that's what property management does for you is it, it's, it's a, you know, more of a, a business like a lot of others where like your clients and, and your customers or whatever, like they're paying you and paying you monthly, not, not, you know, weekly like some others, but they're paying you monthly. So you guys have some monthly income coming in, which means you know what your income is and it's steady. And so you can hire people because when you're buying and selling as a sponsor, you maybe make some money when you buy and maybe you make a lot of money when you sell, but in between it's maybe not a lot. And sometimes it's not any. And so it's not this consistent cash flow that you can, you know, kind of run a business on as far as like hiring people and, and building out a team. Right. Yeah. And the reality is it's, infinitely easier to own and operate a management company that manages a thousand units than one that manages 250 units. Yeah, um, it's yeah. just, it's just, it's, it's the definition of a big management company is easier to run than a small minute. Like, you know, a lot of people say big businesses are easier to run than small businesses. And there's a lot of truth to that management company is like a perfect representation because when you manage call it, you know, 300 units, right. And we're starting to finally get out of this tough little size. Okay. You know, if we have a leasing agent leave or our assistant property management leave, it's just, the, the boats are on fire until we get that replacement and figure yeah. out everybody's working overtime. Everybody's, you know, it's just, it's an, it's a very fragile business. Whereas you get to a thousand units, you can lose an employee, you can lose a client, you know, you can do, there's just, there, there's a lot more play, right? It's less stressful and the business can absorb more bumps or hiccups. Um, and, you know, th there's some other reasons too, but, but that was really the reason why we brought in third party was like, we just got to get to five, six, 700 units as fast as we can. And we're still working our butt off to get to that number yeah. so that we have enough personnel to where the business becomes a little anti-fragile. Uh, I am, I'm sure Axel, and, and, you know, from what I've heard and what I've seen out of you guys, I know you guys are doing an awesome job operating and I couldn't agree more with you. Like, that's what it's all about. I mean, sure. We want to buy right. You know, hopefully we can get a good price. Hopefully we get good debt on it, but none of that matters like operating it. And, you know, if we get into a tough market now, if we get into a recession, it's only going to be the guys and girls that, that operate well, that make it yep. through, not the ones that just bought well or have good debt. I mean, you've got to operate well. So um, I think when you bring the house, so has that been your experience actually? Do you guys feel like you're, you know, you're getting it to where you're, you're, I and mean, it's hard and you're getting through, you know, a tough time, but like, are you seeing a benefit of it? Are you glad you did it? Yeah. You know, I think it probably took a, at least a year to feel yeah. like I was, it was worth it, you know, because yeah. starting, you know, bringing management in house, you're basically starting an entire business, right? Oh, you sure. need to build the systems, the framework, you gotta, you know, you gotta make the hires, you gotta put together the policies, you gotta, and it's a very uh, labor intensive business management, right? Um, you know, we manage 300 units, we have six full-time employees. Um, you know, that's just, it's just more stuff to think yeah. about, to worry about. And, and I'm blessed because I have a great operational partner in that business who has equity. So I'm not necessarily involved in the day-to-day, -day. you know, I'm, 
involved kind of in an advisory capacity and, and, you know, we hop on a call each week, but I just never would have done it if I didn't have that individual to really own that business and to take the reins. Yeah. Um, probably just, you know, maybe I would have done it now, but like, I wouldn't have done it as soon if, if, if that person wasn't available and Ryan's his name, right. If Ryan wasn't available. Um, but now we're really starting to see the benefit because we're, we're finally getting to the point, you know, we just signed, um, a management client who's bringing 120 units to our business, which we're really oh. excited about. Yeah. He's taking us from like, you know, two, 250, 270 to, I can't remember exactly where we're at, but we're going to be at 370, almost 400 units. 400, yeah. um, and we're going to be able to hire another property manager. And then we're starting, you know, Ryan is going to finally, he's going to lift his head up and almost look at the sky for once. You be know, able to breathe a little years. bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, it's, it's a business where you need incredibly uh, patient and diligent individuals. You need to hire extremely well. Um, and especially when you're doing third-party management, man, it's just, I would never recommend it to anyone as a standalone business, unless you're doing what we're doing. It just doesn't make any yeah. sense because yeah. you if you do a great job, your clients are happy and they sell because you created all this value. If you do a bad job, they fire you. You have to like, it's almost like the mediocre property managers <laughs> are the ones that stay in yeah. business because the, the, because the owners don't really want to sell, but they're not bad enough for the, for them to hire, you know, to fire you and, you know, find somebody else. So it's a funny business where you do a really good that job for your funny. clients and they're like, Oh wow, you just made us a bunch of money. I'm actually going to yep. list this property. And it's just, yep. it's a oh, funky it's business, so funny. man. And, and, you know, our goal is like, we always, We've had this big goal on the wall in the office, like just get to a thousand units. Like once we get to a thousand units, the business is anti-fragile. We can afford to hire a COO, somebody who's got 20 years of property management experience. And now we're really starting to remove ourselves from the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. Good, good for you guys. I mean, you're, you're really scaling. I, I can really see the benefits of it. I mean, just us doing a little bit um, and, and seeing what you guys have done. I, I, I know it's, I know it's worth it, but man, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, if it was other more, more people would do it. Uh, it's, it's much easier to let somebody else manage it, but um, yeah, I don't think you're going to get the level that, that you guys are managing at. So um, yep. good for you guys. Uh, Axel, I always like to ask um, uh, my guests, what, what, what a key, what's the key ingredient for being a successful real estate investor, maybe you know, from your perspective, um, for somebody that, that might actually jump all in like you did and really build out a real estate business, what, do, what would you say for you has been the key ingredient to allow you to do that? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I don't know if this is a specific answer, so I might bounce around it, but I think yeah. embracing the fact that you are not in the real estate business, you are in the sales and marketing business. Um, oh, the yeah. most successful people in real estate aren't the guys who are in Excel, they're not the guys. Yeah. You know, operations is critical, but if we're just going to speak plainly, those are not the people that are the most successful in real estate. It's not the people that, you know, I don't know, analyze risk the best. It's the people that have, or, you know, that are the best with other people, the people that are the best at sales, the best at negotiation and the best at marketing. Like those are the people that, those are the skill sets that the most successful real estate investors have. And, yeah. you know, specific examples is, um, you're better off not knowing anything about Excel, but being willing to talk to a broker every single day for 365 days a year. You're just going to make infinitely You're more money than get the guy who's got, yeah. who's got a, you know, an MBA in Microsoft Excel, right? I'm just making stuff up. But, um, you know, you're better off being somebody who's incredibly talented at marketing and, and does a really great job at whether it's email marketing, content marketing, marketing to sellers, marketing to investors, being the guy that's top of mind in the community, hosting the weekly meetups, you know doing all of that stuff, that's the person that makes money. And when you really boil down what drives an investor's business, it's deals and money, right? That's what drives every single real oh, yeah. estate investor's business. And when you think about what produces deals and what produces money, it's being top of mind with everybody in the marketplace. Um, in order to be top of mind with everybody in the marketplace, you need to constantly be selling, networking, marketing, doing all of those different things. And um, 
you know, I, when I realized that there was a direct correlation between how many podcasts I did, how many emails I sent to my email list, um, you know, how many pieces of direct mail I sent out, how many conversations I had with sellers, how many conversations I had with brokers to how quickly my business grew it, you know, that kind of shifted for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people who are newer that they just spend so much time underwriting. They spend so much time looking at their screen, um, spend so much time kind of playing at the real estate game. And that's not what brings the results. You know, that's just not what gets it done. So yeah. I don't know if that directly answers your question, but I think it's a, an important mindset shift for people to make. Oh, yeah, I think so. I I, I heard somebody uh, and I forget who it was and where it was, but they they said, um, you know, as soon as somebody comes to them and says, you know, I'm going to start my own business, they're like, well, just just know that you are now a marketer, that you're you're a salesperson. Yeah. Like imagine a guy, you know, he works at a mechanic shop and he goes, well, I want to go out, go out on my own. Well, guess what you're not going to do all day? You're not going to be a mechanic. Yeah. You're going to go out and have to get the business. So make sure you want to be a salesman and a marketer, because now you have to get people to come to your mechanic shop. You never had to do that before. You just sat in there and you were a mechanic. So to your point, it's really good. But then you also, I mean, you know, you just told us about your partner. He is kind of more like that. So he needs you. And I think certainly you are the one actually that, you know, got the business going. But then what's cool is like, now you can partner with some of those guys that say, I don't want to do all that stuff, Axel, but you've done it because you've, and you've got the company going. So now you can start partnering with some of those other guys and girls. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, you just have to, you have to do whatever it takes to get to the size of business to where you can hire one person. Like that's, I think that's just such a, you know, I think that's like, businesses can be lumped into two categories almost. It's like businesses where there's no employees and businesses where there's just one or more. And it's like, you know, kind of one changes the entire game. Like yeah. if you're, if you're running yeah. a real estate business, you can just hire one person to do some underwriting, to do the legal docs, you know, kind of manage the transaction, do all this stuff. And then you could spend all of your time on sales. You're, you're now, you've now entered a new stratosphere of the game. Yes. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to get there. I mean, hiring is an entirely different skill set than finding um, deals, doing all that. But um, which is another conversation. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, the more time you can spend on any of the activities that make you more known in the marketplace, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, Axel, I know you're not a family man yet, but um, maybe you're headed there. Um, uh, so I always ask my uh, guests as well, you know, what's a key ingredient to making sure you're, you know, maintaining your priorities. So for a lot of people that come up, because, you know, real estate, most of us want to get into it because, I mean, I think you and I love it and we just like building businesses and doing yeah. stuff. But you know, most people want to get in real estate because they believe it's going to make them some money. And they believe that making that money means time freedom, means more time with their family. So I'm sure you've thought about that. Maybe your partner's already there, but what do you think is a key ingredient to making sure that while you're, you know, chasing after this business, you know, going at it really hard, you're maintaining your priorities. What, what's maybe something you do to, to make sure you're doing that? For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I, I, I trust deep in my gut that I'm going to be happy I did all this. So that the day yeah. I have kids, I'm like, oh, that's good that I cared about that oh, <laughs> throughout my twenties yep. and stuff. Yep. Um, you know, we're really excited. We just launched something uh, in our business that, um, that really speaks to this. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to give a quick plug, I guess, but sure. uh, you know, we sell a, a, a really robust course to, to folks who are looking to build a robust pipeline of off-market multifamily deals. Um, you know, multifamilywealtheducation.com slash off market is the URL, but we donate 5% of the gross sales of that to, we have a little charitable arm in our business called Aligned Giving. Um, And that, that whole uh, charitable components of our business just supports organizations that combat the homelessness crisis. Um, So uh, both local and nationally. So we, we support groups that are local to Southern New Hampshire, where I grew up. Um, And I think it's a real, it's a growing issue throughout the nation right now because of the affordable housing crisis. Um, One that's not getting that much better. Yeah. And, you know, specific to my uh, hometown, which is, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire. I mean, I technically grew up in a bordering town, but that's the the nearest large city. And most of my friends are from there, um, you know, not immune to, to what's happened in the market like everywhere else. Rents are going through the moon. 
Um, housing prices are going through the moon and there's a growing homelessness problem. So, you know, yeah. we decided, Hey, if we're going to start, a, if we're going to start an education piece to our business, we want it to support a charitable cause. So, that's cool. um, you know, our, our goal is to donate 25 to, you know, $50,000 a year, depending on how well we do on the course side to, yeah, I love that. uh, to causes that combat homelessness. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how we try to align with what we're doing to, you know, some good in the community. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, Axel. We'll, we'll put that link down there. Cause that's really good stuff. I mean, I, man, I mean, if you can find good deals, you, you know, you're off to a good start. And, and I know going off market um, really is about the only way to find a really good deal. I mean, you know, hopefully you got yeah. some good relationships like you were talking about. If you're out there talking to the brokers, you can get some pretty good deals. But um, the best deals, and I say this as someone that really has only gotten one kind of off market deal. Um, I could still say that. Uh, so I've not gotten these home run deals, but uh, man, off market. So yeah. uh, be that's great. That's what we built our business on. You know, that's the cornerstone of our business. Everything we do yeah. is direct to seller pretty much. That's um, awesome. You know, it's yeah, a lot of yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, well, yeah, it kind of feeds it. Maybe, maybe this is what you'd say for your prayer request, but I always like to ask my guests, how might my listeners and I be praying for you in the coming weeks? Jeez. Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I think, I think honestly, um, what I just talked about is the reality of, of, of what we do. The, the, the tougher side of what we do is the fact that, um, we get into projects and we create value for the community and for the investors by renovating apartments. But there is a reality to what we do and that it increases yeah. the cost of living in a certain area. Yeah, And it's something that I personally grapple with, man. It's hard. Yeah. It's um, I, uh, every time we get into a project, it's always something that makes it a little bit harder to just dive into it. Um, yeah. you know, and it's something that we think about our business. It's a reason why we started trying to, to, to integrate, you know, a component to our business that helps to alleviate that. Um, you know, so I think, um, <laughs> I don't have an answer for you, I guess. But yeah. I think in reality, it's just the people of the community in which we invest in. And not that, you know, I think we do great things for our community by by turning crappy housing into quality housing, right? Yep. That's the byproduct of what we do. And I'm really passionate about that. But I think it's just, um, you know, praying for the people that have a hard time right now and that aren't necessarily as blessed as maybe you and I are who have a roof over I our heads and are not worried yeah, about paying for it. You know, that's that's something I'm passionate about. So yeah. maybe not for me, but for the communities yeah. where there are folks who are affected by that. Yeah, I love that, man. Yeah, because you're, you're right. I mean, this is a nationwide problem. Uh, every city has this. And uh, yeah, it's tough because, you know, we're trying to make nicer housing. Uh, and then anybody that builds new apartments, it's all class A. So yeah, yeah there's just not more like cheap housing coming on. No one, no one's creating new cheap housing. Um, the only, I guess the only guys that are doing that are slumlords that, that you and I usually buy from that, that let their property go to crap and maybe they'll rent that for cheap, but um, that's not what we're looking for either. So yeah, man, we'd be happy yeah. to, to pray alongside uh, you for the, for those people and, and, and maybe for a solution to that problem. So uh, well, great stuff, man. Um, Axel, I know um, you guys have a, a, a lot of uh, content. We just mentioned, you know, throwing that link in there. Um, I know you're active on social media. We've got, um, Axel at aligned, uh, rep.com. Uh, we got your Instagram. Um, we'll, we'll put the podcast in the show notes and then, um, we got www.multifamilywealtheducation.com, uh, slash off market. Those, those are all good places for people to come uh, find out more about you. That's perfect. And I appreciate sure. you, um, you know, sharing that with, with your listeners, yeah. you know, again, multifamily Absolutely. wealth podcast too. The only other place that, um, you know, we just nerd out on multifamily a couple of times a week, um, yeah. you know, just started upping the posting schedule <laughs> since there's less deals nowadays. I'm like, oh, I might as well talk to myself a little bit more <laughs> yep. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so that's the other place too, so, but, but yeah, no, those, cool. those are the best spots. Awesome. Well, this has been a real treat, man. Learned so much, uh, man, really impressive what you've done. And uh, thanks for coming on, you know, sharing your story, sharing your experience and, and a lot of good tips and stuff. So, man, I, I truly believe if people kind of follow along and, and maybe by that, uh, by that course about finding small market deals, they can do, you know, do a lot of what you've done if they work as hard. So really appreciate Absolutely. you coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Take care. 
Thank you for joining us for another great episode. I hope you'll take action on what you've learned today. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving Lee a five-star rating and review. And check him out on threefoldrei.com. Until next time, 1 Timothy 6.17.